This is Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. It's powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, and anywhere in between. To get an extended 30-day trial, visit shopify.com slash masters. Hey, entrepreneurs, my name is Felix, and I'm the host of the Shopify Masters podcast. Each week, we put out podcast interviews with successful e-commerce entrepreneurs or experts to give you inspiration, motivation, and actionable tips to increase your traffic and sales so your store can generate the sales you need to live the life you want. In the last episode, Quan Nguyen from 100percentpure.com tells the Black Friday and Cyber Monday lessons he's learned while supporting a $40 million business. On today's episode, you'll learn entrepreneurs' list of criteria to create a giftable product that sells during the holiday shopping season. In this episode, you'll learn how to promote your product through college and university newsletters, how to personalize just enough when pitching to publications, and the process for selling your product as a promotional product. Today, I'm joined by Jeff Phillips from Beardo.com. That's B-E-A-R-D-O.com. Beardo is the creator of the original Beard Hats and was started in 2010 and based out of Toronto, Canada. Welcome, Jeff. Hey, thanks. Good to be here. Yeah, so Jeff, tell us a little more about the uh, the story and the the creation of the original beard hat. Yeah, well, it was uh, it was actually the original beard hat kind of came pretty organically. Um, I was snowboarding in Whistler and uh, up at uh, actually Black, Black Whistler Blackcomb up at Seventh Heaven, which is like the highest run. Absolutely freezing cold, and uh, all I had was this scarf, this old knit scarf in my bag. I actually used it to wrap my camera with. Um, and, uh, it was so cold. So I put it over my face and wanted to drink. Obviously, as we're going down, I had some water. I spread a hole in the mouth, uh, you know, to make a little mouth. And, uh, and that just, it was a brown scarf looked just like a beard. And, uh, that's kind of how it got started. My friends were all laughing at me. Um, and I held onto that and I used it a few more times cause just cause it was hilarious. And, you know, I kind of refined it a bit, but, um, you know, a few years down the track and I decided, you know what, I'm going to, you know, people find this funny. I'm gonna I'm gonna put it out there and see uh, see if it can sell. And uh, and yeah, that's that's pretty much where it all started. Um, just a snowboarding trip, and yeah, it's funny how things come together like that. Mm. Did you have any experience previously starting businesses or creating products? Because how did you know that this was something that might make sense to release as a product? And how did you know what steps I guess to take to to make it a reality in that way? Yeah, well, I I had a few other businesses. Um, you know, nothing like that and nothing online, but I was doing, um, you know, I, I had my own wildlife control business. I had a painting business. Um, and I, I had previously done a film and television uh, degree. So I had some experience with working with graphic design and stuff like that. And really I just, I, don't, I try to describe it to people. Um, it's just a gut, a gut feeling, you know, just because I liked it so much and my friends liked it so much and, you know, that was really justification that, you know what, if, if I like it, I think other people are going to like it too. And, uh, I, I looked at getting them, getting them manufactured, um, you know, right away and had, had the first, uh, thousand actually shipped out to us. Mm, cool. So you knew that you liked it, your friends around you, uh, were interested in the product as well. That was funny. It seemed like something that would catch people's attention. Um, and you just went right ahead and, and manufactured. You said a thousand right off the bat, or did you try to find other ways to, or did you feel like you had to find other ways to validate that there was a demand for this, that a product like this first? 
Well, when 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 I first uh, launched the store, you know, we were coming up to to winter, and I just thought, you know, it's now or never. So, it's a pretty seasonal product. Obviously, you're not going to wear that in the summer. Um, so I thought, you know, with Christmas coming, I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, get a thousand made, and hopefully, and my original plan was, you know, if I sell all these by, you know, from say October till March, you know, I, if I sell out, I mean, I'd be very happy, extremely happy. And I always had a fallback as well. And that's, that's the thing was, uh, you know, I thought people might not want this hat with a beard in it, but they're detachable. So worst case scenario, I can rip the beards out of the hats and they're really nice hats alone. They're hand knit hats. Uh, and I can sell those beanies, a um, thousand beanies to maybe a store would pick them up and uh, they definitely pay cost. So I would at least get my money back. That was kind of the fallback. Um, so if, to me, it was a bit risk-free um, to do that. Mm, yeah, I, I like that you had a fallback so that it was, like you're saying, risk-free. Did you design that into the product itself, or was this just something that, that I guess, uh, was a bonus that came with the, the design of the product? Well, we desi- yeah, we designed the, uh, I designed the beard hat to have the detachable um, beard. And actually, that's our patented design is the detachable beard part. Because I just figured, you know, some people wouldn't want to wear it all the time, you know. Um, it, it, you know, it looks good. It looks funny, but you don't want to walk around. You don't want to walk in a bank with a, with the fake beard on, yeah. you know, you, you know, there's, there's places where you don't want to want to wear them. So I just thought, you know, we'll give them the option. And, um, and that, yeah, that just kind of made me think, you know, people can rip them out, just wear them as a beanie, you know, and put the beard in for special occasions or to get a good laugh. And I thought it was just a really, it was a novelty, you know, people would buy it maybe as a joke, you know, or they'd buy it for a friend. Or they'd use it, you know, on the ski hills like I did, um, but that they could always just take the beard out and once they get bored of that novelty. Mm, okay, so you had this fallback in place. Uh, it sounds like you had a criteria that you want to hit. You want to sell all of them out by between October and March. So about was that about six months? Did you? At what point did you realize that it was something serious that you could actually turn it into a business and no longer just a, you know, I guess a pet pro- pet project that you're working on? Yeah, well, you know, you never know for sure, but, um, you know, I, I think my, my initial investment was probably, I mean, with the hats and everything and the website and everything, my total investment was probably about $8,000. Um, you know, I, I called on some friends to make a website for me. You know, I think the first website was $500, but, but we, you never really know. And, and when, it, when we launched, I think we not launched uh, November 1st and immediately had a sale. But the, the first sale we saw was in South Korea. And that was really surprising to me, um, you know, that we didn't sell in Canada because, um, you know, it was a .ca website back then. And after 25 days, we actually sold our entire stock. Uh, a thousand hats were gone. And that's that's really when, you know, I knew that this this could go pretty big. Wow, yeah, a thousand in twenty-five days. You know, less than a month is definitely a great sign that it's a there. There's a demand for this product. But how did you, I guess, drive that much attention towards this uh, product so quickly? You know, a thousand visitors alone in in the first month would be a big win for a lot of new stores. But you were able to actually close and get a thousand sales. So, what was your early uh, marketing plans to get rid of and get rid of, but sell those thousand products in just twenty-five days? Yeah, I was I was really doing it on the cheap too. Um, you know, I actually I was living in Australia back then as well, and uh, I was living out of my buddy's garage. For I was paying a fifty dollars a week uh, a week to live out of the garage, and um, 
Yeah, we, I was doing everything on the cheap. So I was contacting blogs by email. You know, I, I wasn't really marketing. I was just contacting blogs. I was contacting anything I could think of to get it out there and get, you know, I was posting on, on different sites, talking about the product, you know, contacting every media company I could think of. And, you know, it was really, that's, that's really what drove the, the traffic, you know, is, is these people like this story. They liked the story behind it. They liked um, the novelty factor of it. And, and media was really quick to pick it up. Um, even uh, university newspapers, I contacted pretty much every university and college newspaper in North America and uh, talked to their editors and tried to get that included in their, um, you know, the uh, university newsletters. And, and just, just by doing it on the cheap like that, I learned so much and I was able to, to grow it very quickly and very cheaply. Um, so I think that's, that's, you know, back, back, I, I'm starting to do that now, actually, we're starting to get back to basics and, and do that again. Because it works so well. Mm-hmm. So you you weren't just looking for big publications, big websites. You were like I think you're saying that you were going after newsletters. You're looking for people, especially I guess in universities in this case, to contact them. Was the approach different when you were looking for people that uh, looking for press mentions through newsletters versus press mentions just like on a blog on a website? It was pretty easy. People were pretty quick to pick up um, on in, in both areas. Uh, it's harder to get them, you know, the more mainstream media. That's what I was finding. Um, like the bigger, like the huge blogs, like, like the Huffington Post and things like that. You know, it's, it was very hard to get involved in those. Um, I found that once you get into some smaller ones, it's, it's almost like the bigger ones kind of uh, look at the smaller ones, you know, and, and pick up stories from the smaller mm-hmm. ones. That's, that seems to be a trend. And, uh, and especially today, it's it's very hard for us to um, get any mentions in any large, um, you know, media companies or blogs. It's it's just it's hard. Mm. Why do you think people? Why do you think press outlets uh, picked up on the story so quickly? Because you mentioned that that they they were interested in the story. So was it the product itself, or was it your story? That what was story were they most likely to cover? I think it, it wasn't just just the it, you know the story was kind of secondary the way that it was created but um, you know the images that we had back then were you know pretty funny we're still using some of them uh, but th- those are what drew the attention the visualization of the the product um, and that that's really what 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 spread through you know mainstream media back then as well. And when you say visualization of the product, you mean that it was just like a funny uh, photo of the product with the product in it? Like, what was it that that caught the attention? Yeah, not like we were trying to do all kinds of different photo shoots. We were doing ones with you know the Hangover characters. Mm. Uh, we were we were doing uh, anything we could think of. Um, you know, we we dress up like a uh, like a fisherman and you know go down by the sea and take a photo with the beard head on. And um, but there was you know the main basically one of the main images is uh of me i don't know what it is it's just a it's a front focused photo and uh just looking at the camera and people have always said that image just sells so well uh they don't know what it is but you know i, I don't really know what it is either just it's not funny it's just a straight on shot just the shape of the beard i guess looks looks good so you are sending these photos in the the initial i guess pitch email when you were reaching out to these outlets yeah, so I I basically did a, you know, a draft. Um, I try to keep it as small as possible, as short as possible, not to, you know, to not waste anybody's time. So just basically told them what we were, what we were about, and then sent a photo. And you know, if they're interested, 
you know, contact us back for more information. And, and, you know, we'd fail nine times out of 10, but I did so much of that that we, you know, got a lot of press out of it. Mm, yeah, it makes sense. Definitely a numbers game. But I like that this uh, this approach of focusing on the photo itself because definitely there's so much attention on how to write the message, how to craft the subject line. But if you have a really interesting, funny, eye-catching photo, especially obviously, of course, with the product in it, it could itself just sell the pitch right off the bat, you know, because it looks so interesting that people just want to cover it. They, it's a very, I guess, a visceral uh, response when they when you see the product uh, in, in, you know, in, in I guess in your case, a very funny setting. Uh, so I think that that's definitely an angle that, that a lot of folks should take because I think that a lot of times it's very, you know, text driven, very text heavy. But a photo, you know, obviously can can uh, get the point across uh, much faster. Um, so you you said that it was very much like a numbers game. You failed nine out of ten times, but you're doing so many times that you're bound to get a hit every once in a while. What was your approach? And like, what was the the process for a you know finding these outlets to reach out to, and then uh, how to manage the the work? I guess that guess that was involved in reaching out and making sure to follow up, making sure to uh, you know actually close the entire loop of pitching and then actually getting covered. Um, yeah, so you know it was hard to find the contacts. Actually, that was the first step. Um, you know, it, it's harder now. You know, which I noticed as well. But I, the first place that I that we we looked was Wikipedia, um, and Wikipedia was a great resource just to find. First of all, you know, every college and university in North America. And then we cross-referenced that with um, ski and snowboard, um, like ski, ski hills. So any ski, um, sorry, any college or university that was near a ski hill, you know, we wanted to talk to them. And so we found out what the newspaper was. And, you know, this is all very time-consuming work. But, but by doing this early on, you know, um, I made a pretty great database of editors and, you know, of these smaller newspapers. Um, even the mainstream newspapers, you know, we contact them and, you know, try to contact them leading in right, right leading into winter, you know, cause they're all looking for stories. And the way I figured it was, you know, if you can write something interesting for them and, and put it in front of them at the same time that they're looking for that type of story and you, and you give them not all the information, but you, you give them a very small snapshot of your story and you kind of word it how they would want to, put it into the paper or onto the blog, you make their job really easy. They want to, you know, they want to, they, they want to cover you that way. Um, you know, if you send them information that is hard to read is, um, not clear, uh, they, they might pass over it. But, you know, if you, if you make them want the story, you put it in, in front of them at the right time, you'll get out there. And that's, uh, that's kind of what we tried to do. Yeah, I hear this all the time about how you want to essentially write the story for the the blog, do a lot of the work for them. Uh, but how how personalized were you actually getting with each uh, each headline, each story when you reached out to these universities? You know, let's say that you reached out to ten universities. Are you actually creating a different story, different headline for each of the ten universities, or is it like a general kind of uh, story, general headline? Uh, just for universities in general, and then have a separate kind of headline, diff- separate story for more of like a entertainment-focused blog. Yeah, so that's a good question. So, yeah, for universities and colleges, for example, for the newsletters, you, we would basically made the same, make the same one. Um, we wouldn't really uh, change it too much, change it too much, because I wasn't sending the whole story. You know, I was just sending a photo 
and a little bit about us and giving them basically a little teaser. You know, I was saying, you know, winter's coming. Um, you know, people are going to want to see this. You know, I think your 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 readers are going to be very interested in this. Um, you know, it's the world's only uh, beard hat with a detachable beard. You know, take a look, and then we'd send the photo and. And, you know, that, that kind of thing would get a really good response. So, um, yeah, we didn't, we, we didn't write the entire story and then send it to him. I actually think a lot of, um, editors especially don't like that. I, I don't think they want to read an entire story before they decide, you know, they, they, they're time crunched, you know, they, they don't want to do that. So you send them a little teaser. If they're interested, they'll contact you and then you can send them everything, um, you know, in a short manner. Mm, okay, makes sense. And, and was the the approach to to pitching a university um, to get into their newsletter, get into their newspaper, different than you would uh, when you're approaching a more, I guess, consumer focused or entertainment focused blog, um, like like I guess a Huffington Post? Is the is the approach different? Uh, the approach is pretty much the same. I, I just I think of uh, you know people writing the university papers are not as professional. Um, you know, they're university students mm. and. They're a little bit more laid back and, and, you know, just, just chilled out about the whole thing. So you can kind of uh, approach them not as professionally and, you know, the, the email doesn't have to be as professional. Where I find the bigger agencies are, you know, uh, like the Huffington Post, for example, they just, they don't want the hellos, how are you? They, they just want the, you know, very headline story, that's it, and maybe you'll hear back from them. Mm. Um, you know, they, they just get so much on their desk. I understand completely. They get so much across their desk that, you know, or in their emails that you have to be short and, but you have to, you have to hook them, you know, you have to uh, be different. Um, and that's, I think what, what, what's getting harder is everybody's learning this and they're, they're doing it. So it's, it's harder to, uh, it's harder to get your story in there to the right people now. Um, and people are hiding their emails a lot more now. I noticed too, it's, it's, it's hard to contact a lot of people. Yeah, definitely. You can see that the the more professional, the bigger blogs, bigger publications are on more of a time crunch that they don't want all the kind of niceties that you would typically include when you're reaching out to a smaller outlet, uh, like a university, for example. So these universities that you're going after, I'm, I'm so intrigued by this. And I haven't heard, heard of an approach like this before, but it makes a lot of sense. You're finding universities, your product was you know geared for people in that demographic, and they were going out. And where was your was your story uh, printed in like a print newspaper or like a digital newsletter that was going out to the entire student base? Like what was the uh, uh, where, where was it included? Yeah, mostly. I mean, back then it was it was normally just just printed out. Um, you know, the weekly newspaper that you pick up, the free one. And um, you know, we did a few giveaways too. That was an incentive for some of them. You know, they, they, some of them didn't want to do the story, but we'd say, look, if you do the story, we'll, uh, you know, we'll, we'll give you guys a giveaway so you can give away three hats and we'll send them out to your, to, to whoever you want. You know, you have a little draw and, and they like that, you know, so they, they like getting involved. So, so we did give away a bit of product as well. Um, and, and we found that worked really well early on as well. So. Mm. And did you find that these um, these newsletters, these newspapers, did they convert better than a, um, a larger publication? Yeah, we well, you know, it's it's hard to say because we did so many of them, but you know, you'd get into one large publication, but you'd be in, you know, forty university newspapers. Mm. So, uh, you know, back then we weren't so much looking at uh, conversion rates. You know, we 
you know, it, it was a big learning curve. So obviously we were just trying to get the word out there and, and the uh, traffic to the website was insane. So, so we just knew we were doing the right thing and sales kept growing. So you just kept doing it. And, uh, you know, we, we didn't really uh, take time to look and, and uh, figure out where the conversions were coming from. Yeah, I, I'd assume that would be pretty hard too, especially if it's like print uh, newsletters. Maybe you can look at the demogra- the uh, the geographies of the purchases, but I can imagine it'd be still pretty difficult to to determine. Um, but if it's uh, an effort that a campaign that's working uh, so effectively, then sometimes you don't need to measure down to the exact uh, university. Sometimes you can't anyway, but that doesn't that should not stop you from doing it. Um, so so what was this timeline then? You the I didn't want to introduce you. I said the business was starting. 2010 uh was the product designed that same year like what was the the lead up to to the initial thousand uh production uh, run yeah so basically the 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 product was actually designed in 2006 um so that's when that's when it was really invented but didn't really take it seriously until a few years later and you know that's when i really decided to take a run at it now i'd come to australia to be a teacher and i was teaching here and um, I had some spare time as well. And, you know, I thought, you know, I'm, I'm going to take a run at this and, and put this out. So, um, so basically the beginning of that year, we, uh, started having them manufactured and, and just kind of leading up to November when we launched. Cool. Yeah. I mean, what made you, I guess, revisit it? Cause I think that there are a lot of ideas, a lot of products that are on the back burner for a lot of entrepreneurs and, it's always something in the back of their mind that they might want to come back to at some point or maybe new ideas come into their head that, that uh, take their attention. What made you decide to come back to this product specifically? Yeah, well, it was just a stupid idea. It was, it, was, uh, it was a stupid little thing between friends and, you know, I didn't really think much about monetizing it. And, I th- you know, back then, you, you, you know, e-commerce was just, you know, really starting to take off and didn't know, really know a lot about it. But you know, with the launch of Shopify, especially and, and just, you know, Facebook and Facebook ads and everything just, it just came in and started making it easier to reach these people online. I think it just, it just happened at the right time that, you know, uh, I don't think we could have really done it, um, any better if we started earlier. I think mm-hmm. it, it kind of popped at the right time. So you said uh, in 2010, you, you initially you made that uh, order for the first thousand, sold out in 25 days through this PR, this huge PR outreach that you're doing, and you kept you kept on using the word uh, "we." Was it was it more than one person? Or was it just you and initially reaching out to all of these uh, universities and publications? Yeah, well, it was uh, it was actually yeah, like I said, I was living in my buddy's garage, and uh, yeah, so it was me doing a lot of the you know a lot of the hard work. Um, I had some friends in the house that were helping as well, just for fun. We were, you know, we were doing mm-hmm. it for fun. So, um, but it was, yeah, it was my project. Uh, yeah. And then I, yeah, you know, we had fr- a lot of friends involved, you know, obviously everybody comes together and they just thought it was, it was funny and, and fun. So we're doing the photo shoots together. And, um, actually funny, I was thinking about it, you know, when, when you contacted me about this and I was thinking about, uh, you know, just reflecting. And I hadn't really, I haven't really taken the time to reflect too much about the business growth. And, and I keep mentioning I was living in the garage and, you know, didn't have much money, but I was living in the garage of my buddy. And, uh, I remember we, I used to drive around at night trying to put my patents through and, uh, we didn't have Wi-Fi, So I'd actually be in my station wagon driving around with my laptop on the passenger seat open, trying to pick up somebody's unlocked Wi-Fi signal so that I could sit out front of their house and, you know, do some ads or put my patent through, which 
which took a lot of time, you know, and it, it's just funny thinking, thinking, you know, how far we've come. Mm, yeah. You know, and, yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. That's definitely another level of hustle. If you don't have internet, it, it definitely is a big deterrent to starting an online business. So definitely glad that you're able to find a way around it. Um, so early on, I'm looking at the the, the catalog, the the site now, and the you know products range uh, uh, different in price, but it looks like most of the the hats are in the thirty to forty dollar range. Was that always the original price point? Yeah, the original price point for the original hat was um, just as it is today. It's thirty nine ninety nine. For the original, the hand knit, um, it's all hand knit. Um, but now we've we've got a few different models that we have a machine knit beanie, um, and then the handmade uh, beard. And yeah, those are twenty nine ninety nine. And then, as you see, we've expanded to a, you know a lot of different products. We've got a lot of ski masks now. We've actually got ski goggles, um, and we're doing a lot of promotional products as well. You know, promotional branding for different companies um, with our those bottle mustaches. I don't know if you can see those. The uh, mm-hmm small accessory and you know we do beard ornaments so we're, we're starting to uh really grow out a little bit but still staying in the ski and snowboard markets but also expanding a little bit more into the gift more giftable items as well mm, yeah definitely want to talk more about the, the giftables especially since we're coming into i guess when this comes out we'll be very much into the holiday shopping season uh, before we get there when it comes to so you when you first sold that uh first thousand batch order what was next like how did you did you then uh, realize okay i need to focus all my time on this or was it still something that you were kind of i guess going along slowly with yeah no i i mean yeah pretty much the first 15 days i knew you know i was spending all my time on it and and back then i had my phone um hooked up so every time i got a sale it would make a it would make it uh uh, like a cash drawer Mm -hmm. ching ching you know and I, I just remember the one night when uh, it was a little bit after that. It was around Christmas, but uh, after that first thousand was sold, but it was just going off the hook. It was just, and I had to, I, it was a few, first time I had to mute it because it was just, uh, it was ridiculous. It was just going constantly. And it was just, you know, being in a different time zone here, it was going all night, um, you know, and for the North American daytime. So I had to mute my phone for the first time. And, that's really when I um, basically retired from my teaching career to focus on that. Very cool. So did you just uh, use all the funds from the sales to continue buying more products? Like what was the next area of focus to grow the business after that initial uh, successful th- uh, month? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, it took uh, – I'm not exactly sure what the second batch, uh, you know, the, the unit, unit – um, or the numbers for the second batch, how many we ordered, but uh, but I knew we had to mobilize pretty quickly and get those in. Um, but yeah, just reinvested, it just kept reinvesting, uh, and that ha- pretty much happened for the first winter. Um, just reinvested everything. Um, yeah, but it, it was it was just the sales were going going crazy, so it was it was really good. Mm, very cool. So I want to go back to what you're saying about how you guys are now getting more into the promotional branding side and creating more products around, I think creating more giftable products. Uh, so what made you, uh, how did you realize to go in this direction? I guess we'll start with a more promotional branding side. How did you know to, to start going in this this direction? Well, especially with our the, the beer mold, the bottle mustaches, um, you know, we realized that a lot of, a lot of beer companies would obviously want them. So um yeah, I started sending samples around and, and people loved them. You know, we got on some of the promotional uh, products websites in North America and, uh, yeah, just distributors started picking them up and 
we we throw them out at trade shows too, and that that really helped. But uh, I mean, the response really is what showed it to us that people want these. So. Yeah. Yeah. I guess initially it sounds like such a great uh, sales channel because I'm assuming these big selling to big companies you can sell much larger batches rather than one by one to to consumers. Maybe the profit margins are not as great. Is there is there a con to uh, I guess a downside towards opening up a sales channel like this to focus on selling your product specifically as uh, promotional products? Yeah, there, there, the only real downside is the turnaround time. You know, to do something, um, to do something like that. You know, a lot of these companies, you know, whether it be a promotional product for a beer case or, um, you know, a sporting event. You know, we've had that where, where you know, they're looking for thousands of these things with their logo embroidered on the hat or you know, or on the bottle mustaches. Um, the turnaround time is never seems to be never short enough. So. It, you know, the distributors always seem to want them pretty immediately. And, and, you know, we just can't do that, especially now, you know, during winter when we're, we're mobilized for our online sales and we're, you know, we've got our, uh, our production house just running at capacity uh, to take on a large promotional order is hard, is hard. So, yeah, we try to spread it out throughout the year and make blanks, um, blank products that are, you know, we can just embroider or just mark them. Um, with screen print and and send them out so um that helps but then you're carrying stock and it gets into a whole other a lot of other issues um warehousing and stuff like that so that's the downside and so so just to i guess recap the downside is that when a sale does happen with these uh, big uh companies that want to buy your product for promotional reasons they want it immediately they want it much faster than you're able to produce yeah usually you know usually they'll contact us with I mean, we've we've had sometimes where, where people want, for example, you know, ten, fifteen thousand beard hats in a in a special Pantone color with an embroidered logo, and they need it in twelve days. Wow. You know, uh, we just we just can't do that. You know, shipping time alone is six, you know, five or six days. That's the fastest we can send it. So, um, yeah, that 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 kind of uh, that's kind of that kind of sucks because you know. Because you're seeing these these huge potentials go out the door and yeah, just not not come to fruition. So yeah, I can imagine that sucking. Where it's like literally someone's willing to give you money, but you can't produce what they what they need quickly enough to to get it. And you mentioned that there's some ways to mitigate that by producing most of the product already, but then finding ways to uh, I guess apply whatever the company is looking for as the very last step, so that most of the production is ready for you already. But the downside, like you're saying, is that that means you have to carry a lot of uh, inventory in your stock. Um, so what 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 in your based on your experience and what makes a specific product more attractive as a promotional product because like you're saying this bottom mustache was a product that you knew that the beer manufacturers would be interested in why wouldn't they be interested in why wouldn't you be able to i guess uh sell a product like the beard hat as a, a promotional product as well yeah well we we have done that actually they've gone in gone in uh, beer cases you know as a promotional product and like I was saying, the sporting events, you know, in the team colors, uh, you know, that's, that's always been really popular. Um, but for the bottle mustaches, you know, they're just, they're small, they're lightweight, they're silicone, um, easily brandable. And the turnaround time on them is very quick. Yeah, so we knew, we knew those would be very popular. Uh, we can do any color as well and, um, you know, make different mustache shapes. And, you know, with some of the different, um, you know, Mexican beers, you know, they're, they're, 
pretty popular. Obviously, they fit right into um, to their whole brand. Oh, um, mm-hmm. So yeah, they yeah we just knew that they do they do well. We liked it, a bit of fun. So, so did you create the products uh, with uh, the goal of making a promotional product, or was it just something that a product that already existed and you realized that it would make sense to push it as a product for promotional uh, reasons? Yeah, no, that's that one's our design as well. Um, we have other ones for wine glasses and stuff too, but um, they're not as popular. Obviously, we stick with the beers. Um, yeah, just um, just yeah, sorry. What was the question? I was asking, like, did you uh, purposefully create this product for a, to sell as a promotional branded product, or was it something that already existed? And then you realized that it could be sold as well as a promotionally branded product. Oh yeah, sorry. Um, yeah, so that one we yeah we we came up with that one, um, and we just knew that it would be great promotional product just because it's. It is small. It's it's pretty pretty cheap um, in terms of promotional products and easily brandable. So, yeah, right away we just you know push that ones out to the uh, beer companies and um, yeah, that's pretty much where it started. And then with you know November too, we figured that would be a really good um, you know sponsorship uh, product for um, kind of fundraising. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so if you wanted to, someone out there wants to explore selling their product as a promotional product, what's the first step? Like, how do you begin this exploration process to uh, become discoverable as a product that could be used for promotional branding and finding these companies that that would potentially be interested in purchasing your products? Yeah, so there's different databases. So there's um, the main one that we stick with, with is called ASI. And uh, it's the Advertising Specialty Institute. And uh, basically, you can just put your product up on there and, um, and distributors look at those. You can send out emails to their um, clientele. And, uh, and, yeah, we just figured we'll put it on there, have a go, and see how it, see how it works out. And, yeah, the response has been great. So we just um, we could keep it up there and um, go to some of their trade shows as well. Mm-hmm. And well, what's it like working with uh, these uh, these I guess brands? Like, what's the process like? Because like you're saying, it, it could be a a nightmare sense sometimes where they want such a large order in such a short period of time. Uh, but in I guess a more typical case where you're able to handle, where I guess is more reasonable. What, what is it like? Yeah, it's pretty good. I mean, most of the big brands, um, you know, you don't work with them direct. They all pretty much use distributors. Um, they have a distributor that you're a few, or they might put a, a message out. Look, we're looking for some promotional products for, I don't know, Christmas, for example. Um, and then all their, all their distributors or that they've worked with in the past will start looking for unique products for them. Um, and then whoever comes back with the best idea pretty much gets to gets the contract with them. And so we work with the distributor direct and, uh, they tell us what they want, what color, you know, what, what, uh, logo, we make them some virtual some proofs, send it through, and once they get the uh, go ahead, you know, we get the the purchase order and and send direct to their client. Um, it's it's pretty good. It's pretty uh, quick process usually. The only thing, like I said before, is uh, sometimes the turnaround doesn't work. Like they, you know, they want it immediately. The brand would wait, wait till the last minute to start looking, and then you know, there's just simply not enough time, um, you know, to, to do it. So. That used to kind of get to us, you know, it'd be, uh, you know, oh, not, you know, that huge order is gone. We, you know, we, we can't def, we definitely can't do that. But now, you know, 
we've, uh, I don't know, I guess personally I've taken a different look at it. Like I'd rather just do a high quality order um, and not rush it, you know, have enough time than, than rush it and, you know, have mistakes or, you know, something like that. So I'm, I'm a lot more relaxed now than, uh, than I used to be. I used to be just, you know, go, go, go. Let's get these out the door and, you know, but that's, that leads to a pretty stressful life. So. Yeah, you do. You definitely don't want to say yes to everything because, like you're saying, you you're just bringing on more stress for yourself when it's not a situation that that is uh, that plays to your strengths. Um, so, what what makes it uh what makes you more likely to to win these contracts? Are there is it just like a numbers thing for these distributors, or or like what? How do you position yourself in a way that makes you more likely to win a contract when these uh, companies, these brands, are looking for promotional products? Yeah, well, for us, it's it's not, it, you know, we're not trying to get the contracts. It's the distributors trying to get the contracts with the brands they work with. Um, for us, it's pretty easy because we've got these, you know, patented products, um, you know, design registered products as well. And so we're one of a kind. So we put our product out there. The distributor shows it to their client and the client either says yes or no, you know. Mm. Um, either they want beards and mustaches or they want, yeah. you know, something like, you know, something completely different, like a bottle opener or, you know, a whistle or whatever it is. Um, so yeah, it's, it's not, it's, there's no pressure on us to get the contract. It's, we just show them what we got. We work with them to make a, a really nice virtual design for them and that they can show, show their client and, uh, and just sit back and wait for a purchase order or, or we don't get it. So. I see. So you have your product listed up on a database like ASI. The distributor is going through this database, looking essentially shopping for products to then pitch to to the to these brands. Is that the process? That's exactly right. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. I never heard of the the, the approach this way. Oh, not this approach, but I never heard of um, it laid out this way. I think this is a great avenue for a lot of a lot of products, or at least trying to put it out on on these databases like ASI and see where it leads you. Um, so, so, yeah, so you mentioned that another uh, focus for you guys, which I think is very timely, is more on giftable products. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Like, how how are uh, I guess uh, how is a giftable product a little bit different than than the products that you were selling previously? Yeah, well, you know, what I realized was there's there was there's always kind of two kinds of people coming to our website. There were skiers and snowboarders, which was always our main focus. We, you know, this is a ski and snowboard product. This is for the winter. This beard hat is just for the winter. Um, but what I, you know, quickly realized is a lot of people are just buying this for a gift and not necessarily for skiing or snowboard, but just because it's got a beard on it, you know, and, and, and that's really where I learned that that market, the giftables market is a lot bigger than just the ski and snowboard market. Um, especially around Christmas, you know, the sale, everybody's sales goes up. So I want to focus on things that are still have the same novelty as the beard hat, um, and maybe even still be used for skiing, snowboarding, but maybe uh open it up to a lot more people um you know so that's where we started making the, the, the ski mask we did a kickstarter for our um ski mask design and yeah we obviously people really loved them um and we've we've done a new new range this year so we've got little ears on them and these animal ski masks and and they're just everyone's loving them but you don't have to be a skier or snowboarder you can you know if you like cats you know we have a few cat ones um, so people could buy them for their friends who like cats, for example. And we're finding a lot of that, you know, it's not about 
yeah, just the uh, functional usage of them. It's it's the novelty of it and the giftable. I see. So when you look at when you're designing a product to make it more giftable, you're looking to create products that are, I guess, a little more generalized or just more. Is it more products that you're carrying now, or is it? I guess when you when you sit down and say, okay, let's create a product for this holiday shopping season. We want to make it so that it's giftable. What attributes are you you changing, or are you looking to to adjust to make it a more giftable product rather than a product that was targeted at your, I guess, original uh, customer base of skiers? This uh, this big chalkboard, and it's been, uh, it's been sitting in my office basically. It's something I've worked on for over a few years, and uh, just at the top it just says product success rules, and uh, I've just got a few boxes, tick boxes, and this is what I look at when I try to come up with a new uh, product. Um, so first one, small and easily shipped or digital. Uh, if you can, I mean, this is a list. If you can tick every one of these boxes, you know, you're going to do pretty well. Um, it's got a markup of seven to 12 times, you know, ideally. Uh, trendy and unique and people want to share it. So that's that novelty factor. Um, little or no competition, which basically allows you to create and control a market. It's uh, not so personal that people uh, will want to try before they buy um, or not a gift item or not, not to gift it. Um, for example, like sunglasses, um, you know, mm-hmm. sunglasses are a little personal. People want to try them on, so that may not be a, a perfect um, market um and then it's the same as the next one next point is it must be a giftable item which is something in the you know around 50 dollar price range and under i think is um would kind of qualify for a giftable um there must be no expiry date or at least a short lead time and small minimum order sizes so you don't want to have 10,000 items in your warehouse that are going to expire mm-hmm. uh, and, and then the last one is just more general, but it's a new or revision of old design brought back to life, um, reinvented for the digital age. So what I like to do, you know, just to get some, and this is, this is really what I love to do. I love to create and I love to design and I love looking at old designs. And so when I, when I look at this, I, I, I like to go online and just look through, you know, whether it be Pinterest or I like to look through old products from like the 60s and the 70s and see how they package them. And I like to bring that old style to the new age, uh, if possible, because everything kind of goes in a cycle. If you've noticed, everything seems to come back, you know, beards, (laughs) beards are back. Uh, They're gone for a long time. So if you can if you can look back in, in the past and come, you know, kind of reinvent something. Um, or even just repackage it. Um, I think you you have a good chance of success for that as well. Mm, I, lo- I love this this list that you have. It's very logical, and it's like like you're saying, you just go through product ideas and tick them off and see how likely they are for success. I've heard variations of something like this, at least pieces of your list from other successful product creators as well. So there's definitely a lot of merit to it. Um, so I want to kind of pick this apart a little bit and talk about each each piece of it. So when you say uh, the the product has to be a new or revision of product brought back 
I guess for the digital age. Can you say a little bit more about that? Like how, or I mean, I guess you don't want to give away any any uh, products that you're thinking of, but I guess how do you approach it? How do you determine if something could be brought back for the digital age? Yeah, um, I'm you know I'm always thinking about this, and I've got a I've got a folder on my computer with just all kinds of old ideas that you know you see these old magazines from like I say, like the seventies and, and you look at the old ads on them and the way, even the way that they used to advertise like cigarettes on the back of, um, some of these magazines are just so ridiculous, but I don't know. There's just something about them that, uh, yeah, obviously you're not going to, you know, you're not going to advertise cigarettes today, but, but just the way that they used to do the marketing was so interesting. And, and some of these products that they used to come up with that don't exist anymore, they're so ridiculous too. But if you launched some of these older products today, you know, especially on a, on a site like Kickstarter, for example, um, they would absolutely explode just because mm-hmm. they're so ridiculous. And, and you know, a product doesn't necessarily have to have a function. You know, it can just be a stupid giftable item. And that's another thing I've learned. You know, it doesn't it doesn't have to um, solve any any world problems. You yeah. know, it can just be a stupid item as long as it's it's under that $50 kind of range. You know, people would buy it for a gift and you're just a stupid gift that, you, you know. Um, and yeah, so I just, I just like to look, you know, this, this list is not, you don't have to tick every single one of these, but, but when I design something, I look at this and this is, it helps me find faults with the product. Um, I've had a few failed, uh, failed products, you know, before. And, um, you know, so this kind of just keeps me, keeps me real. Yeah, I like that. That there's like a, I guess a filter that you send everything through because you don't want to just look at a product or look at or think about products and go off a of gut feeling alone. You want to actually have something that you can test it against. Um, so you mentioned as well that you can reinvent a product or just repackage it. Can you say a little bit more about like what's the difference in, in your eyes between a reinvention versus a repackaging uh, a previous product? Well, so I've said new or revision of old design, you know, on this on this um, chart. And I guess basically why that's there is if you can create a new design, you're controlling the market. You know, if you can create a new product, you know, it has no competition um, and it probably won't for, you know, a little while um, until people start to realize it's a good idea and start copying you. Um, you know, or, or you can revise an old design that, you know, may... It, and I'm not talking about ripping somebody off or, you know, just changing a little bit. I'm talking about mostly old, old items, like a really old item from say, you know, a hundred years ago. You know, I haven't really invented anything um, like that, but I always, I always think about, you know, the toilet, for example, and this is getting a bit off topic, but you know, you look at the toilet, it hasn't changed. Mm -hmm. And I always, I always like to think about, you know, if someone's going to reinvent that, how would they do it? You know, and, and, you know, I, I always think about stuff like that. So, um, yeah, if you can come up with a, a revision on something old and make it new again, like bell bottom jeans, for example, or, you know, something like that in fashion or whether it be a, a, a giftable product, you know, I think, uh, you have a good success success rate there. If it's, if it's novelty enough that, that, you know, people would like it. 
Yeah, I think one. I think I've heard from uh, previous inventors too on this podcast where they uh, like to go with repackaging and reinventing as this thing product because there's less explanation involved in it, right? Because people already have a place of it in their minds, or maybe not distinctly, but at least they've seen it, or or because it's been in the market before, it's been in the world before it. Go. They've been able to tie their your product back to an understanding they've had before of a previous similar product. And I think that that helps you a lot when you're trying to sell a product, getting over that the education aspect of it. Um, now, when you say what about what about like repackaging though? Like how how can you repackage uh, uh, I guess an old product? What what is an example of that? I mean, you know, you look at Apple. When you buy an Apple computer, you get you get your package and. And oh, something about their their packaging, and, you know, it's been talked about a lot, you know, a lot before. I'm sure you've talked about it. Um, the product, even the packaging, is special. You know, you you get this this nice white box. You know, you open it up, it, it comes apart really smoothly. You know, it feels really nice. You know, you, you start to unpack it, unpackage this whole thing, and it, it makes you feel special that you're opening this brand new product. And I think you know, just the packaging alone can um, can you know make your customers feel like they're getting something mm-hmm. really special. You know, I, I unpackaged my DJI uh, um, Mavic. I got the drone the other day and that's the same thing. I, I was just taking this thing apart so carefully and, you know, so I think uh, not only do you have to think about the product, but the packaging also has a lot to do with that to make people feel special. And, and, and I think putting in the little details, you know, in our face masks, for example, you know, on the material tag, um, we've got this material label sticker that we put inside that, you know, tells you how to wash it and how to treat it. And we've put little special comments in there, little, um, just little things that, you know, if you don't read the fine print, you never see it, but somebody does read the fine print, they're going to get a little, uh, get a little joke, I guess. Yeah, I think that that's uh, important too. You don't want to always just focus on the functional side of products, functional side of your business. There are sometimes the way to, to delight your customers, make them happy to to buy from you, are much more, I guess, uh, uh, like less functional, right? There are just things that are delightful that aren't actually serving a purpose other than to make them feel special, which you know is a great purpose in, in of itself. Uh, so now, now that there is a more focus for you guys on on giftables, uh, can you talk to us a little bit about your I guess your plans for the holiday shopping season specifically, uh, what you're doing in preparation for Black Friday and Cyber Monday coming soon? Yeah, so um, yeah, we're ramping up for that. So I think what we're going to do is uh, a discount code, and we'll, we've done a lot of different stuff in the past. Um, you know, a lot of complicated stuff. You know, where we'd we'd, we'd uh, we duplicate products and 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 have a um, a sale collection with that product in it. Um, it it just it got really confusing um, just for the amount of products that we have. So we're going to keep it nice and simple just for us. I'm going to give a big big discount to to uh, all of our fans. We'll announce that on uh, online and we'll run some ads for that. Um, we've also ramping up our retargeting. Um, you know, the retarget marketing this time of year is is, is really uh, beneficial for us. So uh, yeah, just we're trying to reach as many new customers as possible um, towards the holiday season, so that the retargeting can, can also kick in and you know do a bit of uh, overtime work there. Um, yeah, so that's pretty much what we've got planned. Um, you know, luckily we're with Shopify, so we know it's gonna you know the site's gonna hold up. 
Um, we've tested it pretty much, uh, you know, as, as much as we can um, with some of the spikes we've had. You know, we've had, we've had uh, spikes of 50,000 or more people on the website in just a wow. few hours. Um, you know, and yeah, so we're, we're pretty uh, happy with that. So, you know, we, before we were at Shopify, we, we had some issues with servers. And, you know, when I went on uh, Dragon's Den, the, the investment show Dragon's Den, um, working with Good Morning America, you know, we were really tested. So now, um, you know, we, we feel confident in the servers and we can focus on just, just getting out there and selling. Yeah, it makes sense. So for that short window, though, for like, let's say Black Friday and Cyber Monday, is the or do you have any different, uh, I guess, strategies for marketing and promoting the the? I guess you're selling. You say you're selling sales collections. Yeah. So yeah, we'll uh, well we we did do a sales collection last year. We're not going to do that this year just because it gets too um, it gets it gets too dif- uh, difficult to manage with all the products. Um, so we're just we're going to do a, a, um, a one, one discount code site wide. And we're going to put that out to as many people as, as possible. Um, and ramping up to, to that, we've got a bit of an email. Um, uh, we've got a few emails going out that are going to, you know, entice people to purchase four giftables, uh, you know, talking about secret Santas and, um, and different things like that. So we put it in their head that, uh, that things are, you know, Christmas is coming and, and people usually wait till the last minute. So we try to start early and, and really get on people about that. So mm, I see. So I think one of the big benefits of uh, this more giftable focused strategy, especially around the holiday shopping season, is that you don't have to get someone that bought for themselves to buy for themselves again. You can find new ways to sell to them, like getting them to buy for others. And I think that's a great way uh, to not only um, essentially get more lifetime value out of an existing customer, but then introduce new customers that they're get that are getting these gifts to your brand and hopefully grow your, your, your market that way. I think that's a great approach. Um, cool. So, you know, thanks so much again for your time. Uh, what do you want, I guess, where do you want to see, uh, the, the brand that the business go in the next year? Uh, in the next year, we're, we're going to stick with the, uh, the ski masks. We're going to work on some new designs for that. Um, and we're, we're always, we're always inventing. Like I said, I've got, I've got a huge folder on my computer of just, uh, I've probably got a hundred things in there, but you know, not, not all of them are going to work and none of them, you know, they might not work today, but I've got them. And, and, you know, a few years down the road, we might release some of those. So, um, yeah, I, I just like to keep that folder and you never know what's going to come. So, um, it's nice to have that and look back and, and, uh, yeah, I, I personally, I enjoy that part of it. I enjoy coming up with new products and, and visualizing how I would market them and, and, and stuff like that. So um, it's nice when you like it. It's nice when it doesn't drain you um, mentally. When you enjoy something, it's it's not a problem. It's it's not a job. So, so yeah. Yeah, that sounds like a, a ton of fun. So, again, thanks so much for your time, Jeff. Beardo.com is a website, B-E-A-R-D-O.com. Anywhere else you recommend our listeners go and check out if they want to follow along with what you're up to? Uh, yeah, they can check us out on Instagram. Uh, it's just Beardo Aware. It's B-E-A-R-D-O. W E A R, um, uh, Facebook as well. Um, yeah, we'll be giving away lots of stuff in the next few weeks, and uh, yeah, have a bit of fun with it. Cool, awesome. Thanks again for your time, Jeff. Thanks, Felix. Thanks for listening to Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. To start your store today, visit Shopify.com/masters to claim your extended 30-day free trial.